Verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his world I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Hi, you may be seated. Well, good morning, church, and uh, just to echo what Ryan said, Happy New Year. Um, we are glad that you are kicking off uh, the first few days of 2022 um, with us. And so for those of you who don't know, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm one of the other pastors here, and it's a uh, it's good for us to be together. And so uh, I'm going to start us off with just a topic that all of us love uh, so dearly, um, no matter what season of life we are in, and that's the dentist. Um, we all love the dentist, right? How many of you guys are actually nodding because you really do? Okay, there's a few of you. I know, okay, there's Donnie. I know Lauren and I were talking earlier. Some of you guys actually like the dentist, which, which good for you. Um, but, but most of us, I would say, in here just aren't big fans. Uh, we know it's something we have to do. It's just a part of life. But uh, if we didn't have to, we wouldn't um, go to the dentist twice a year if we're really good. I was about to say students. We're not students. at the dentist. Anyways. Um, but one of the things that, you know, when we go to the dentist is we typically will, sometimes we'll go, we'll get our cleanings. Um, but a lot of times, if you're like me growing up, you'll also go get your cavities filled. Um, cavities is just a normal part of our own brokenness and sin, and, and we just, we have to live with it. But um, one of the things that happens in, uh, we all know, whenever you get a cavity filled is that they numb your mouth, right? They give you the, the shot of just whatever it is, whatever medicine it is, and numbs it. And it's this weird feeling, right? Like all of a sudden, I mean, the needle, initial needle hurts, um, but once the, the, the numbness kind of soaks in, like you can sense, like whenever they're poking around in there and, and, and drilling and all that stuff, you, you, you can have that sensation, but you're not actually feeling what you know you're supposed to feel. Right? The, the numbness dulls down the pain and it, and it dulls down um, uh, the, 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 all the, the, the prying and the poking and, and the sharp needles uh, to where you just can't feel it anymore. Right? You, and it's, it's, it's just so weird because you know what you're supposed to feel. You know that it's supposed to hurt, but, but yet it's just as like blank. And it's just kind of like a little, little, little pressure, and that's it. Um, it's just this numb sensation. And I wonder if, if kind of similar in some ways, it's that numbness, just that you know, this, is, this idea that you know what you're supposed to feel, uh, you know what you're supposed to, 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 to feel whenever you're going to, I wonder if in a similar way, um, a lot of us are in, the, in that same spot in our, in our Christian life. We feel numb. We might feel blank. We know as Christians the things we're supposed to desire, uh, the things that we want to walk in, but for whatever reason, um, we feel flat. We feel complacent. Um, we feel apathetic. Maybe it's because we're going through a hard season and, and, and just life has been unkind to us. Not because we've done anything, but just because we live in a broken and fallen world. Um, perhaps maybe some of you uh, feel that complacency and numbness uh, because you've been finding yourself in this same pattern of sin. It's just, for whatever reason, you're having a hard time just breaking. 
all these different things could be the cause and the incubators of why we might feel numb or, or, or empty or flat. Have you ever been there before? Are you there now? In moments and seasons like this, that where we might feel numb, where we might feel like there's just a deep sense of struggle that we, don't, we can't really shake, where can we find hope? And the reality is, all of us in our Christian lives, for whatever reason, we'll have these seasons where we feel so near to the Lord and so close. Um, and then we'll have these seasons which is just dry and empty. And so in those seasons, whether we're in our high highs or low lows, where can we find hope? Where can we find hope when sin just feels so crushing? Where can we find a hope when there is just an abundance of pain in your life? for no reason other than just the brokenness of this world? Where would we go when the prevailing thoughts and emotions of our heart are complacency and apathy as opposed to joy? Have you been there? Are you there now? Enter in Psalm 130. So if you're not already there, go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Psalm 130. Um, Psalm 130 might not be our normal New Year's text, um, but I love it because it's a very human text. And what I mean by a human text is that we all know that, that if you live long enough, you're going to get stung by life. Um, whether it's struggles with sin or some kind of suffering, we all are going to know and experience the pain of what it is just to live. I mean, heck, 2020 and 2021 are proof of that. If you live long enough, we're going to know the pain of life. And the writers of the Psalms were not uh, unfamiliar with the same pain. They, they were not immune to the floodgate of emotions and struggle and sin and apathy and pain that we experience. Psalm 130 is a very human text that I think deals with all of these things. It's part, Psalm 130 is part of a group of Psalms, about, about 15 or so Psalms. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. And these psalms were psalms that were uh, written uh, for Jews to sing while they were on their pil yearly pilgrimages to the festivals in Jerusalem, whether it's Passover or the Feast of Booths, um, as they were ascending, because Jerusalem was on a hill, so they were climbing up to Jerusalem. As they were ascending, these would be the psalms that they'd be singing and they'd be on their lips, these psalms of ascents. And, and, and Psalm 130, like I said, is a very human text because it deals with the pain and struggle that we feel in this life, primarily towards that in light of our sin. Um, though I think you can pull some other things in it as well. It's a very human text that deals with our emotions and how do we hold our pain and struggle in light of who our God is. How do we hold these things? How do we navigate these things in light of who our God is and the and, and, it's an honest psalm that is really, it's divided into four interconnected parts. It's four interconnected parts, and it's kind of pieced together, verse 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, and 7 and 8. And we'll go through that as we uh, make our way through the psalm this morning. But my hope is for us, as we navigate and look through this psalm, wherever you might be on this spectrum, whether you are coming in here and you are on fire for the Lord, and you're like, bro, why are you bringing the mood down with this, like, pain and stuff? Um, if that's where you are, I think the psalm still has something for you. 
But if you're also coming in here today just feeling burdened for whatever pressures of life that you may find you, this, this psalm is going to help us um, deal with those emotions and ultimately see how we can find our hope in who our God is. And so let's go ahead and look at verse 1. The writer writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So this first section, like I said, there's four sections that are really in this psalm. And this, four, this first section is a section of lament. What does it mean to lament? Lament is just this deep sorrow and grief that you might feel of just in life. It's this deep sense of just need. It's this deep sense of sadness and just grief that can overcome uh, you, that shows itself um, in just your emotions, your decisions, in anything of life. And he says, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Out of the depths. Uh, think about the vastness of the ocean. Uh, the deepest part, I'm stepping out of my lane here. This is more science and biology, so Ryan, here you go. Um, but the deepest part of, of our uh, earth is, is this, this place, it's kind of near Japan, but it's, it's seven miles deep. The deepest part of our ocean is, is seven miles deep. Um, a little fun fact for you. Um, can you imagine the depths and darkness that are in that place? Can you imagine just, just the, 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 the darkness that, that's there at seven miles below our earth in the lowest part of the ocean? And so when he uses this word depths, that's kind of the significant thing that he's, that's kind of the, the meaning of the word. He's, you're thinking of the lowest of low places, so like the bottom of the ocean. This is where he's crying out to the Lord. It's in these deep places. It's, it's at the bottom of his heart that this, this psalmist is crying out to the Lord. He, and, and when he means by at the bottom of his heart, he's trying to pull up whatever is there to conjure some kind of prayer. He's trying to pull up something to bring before the Lord because there's the deep sense of agony and pain. And he's trying to just pull out whatever he can. It's from the deep parts of his, of his soul in which he's calling out to the Lord. What is he needing? What is he crying out to the Lord for? What is, what is he kind of conjure up, uh, trying to conjure up to bring before the Lord? Well, look in verse 2. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's crying out for the Lord to hear. That word for mercy there is just, is, is also means earnest prayer. So he's asking the Lord just to, to hear me. So hear me, Lord. Hear my prayers. And there's something in his heart, this psalmist, that is corroding his heart in such a way. I believe it's sin because you look at the rest of the, the psalm. It's primarily doing with pain and sin. But something is so corroded in his heart where he sees his need before the Lord. He's lamenting his need for the God, before the Lord, and he's pleading with God, hear me. I know who I am. I know the darkness that's in my own soul. Would you still hear me? Would you still hear me? And he's trying to muster up whatever he can in his heart. Because if he's pulling out something from the deep parts, it kind of has this idea and this connotation that, that, that there's not a lot to grab. He's, he's not in a state of life where he's just feeling on fire for the Lord, but rather he's trying to find whatever he can just to bring something before the Lord because of his own brokenness. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of mercy. I love the way that, that Calvin has a quote about this. I feel like puts this into a perspective that's helpful. He says, 
as the miseries to which there is no respect of termination commonly bring despair in their train, nothing is more difficult than for persons when involved in grievous and deep sorrow to stir up their minds to the exercise of prayer. Or in other words, when you feel like you don't want to pray, when you feel like you're in a season of deep sorrow and pain for whether, whatever reason, Calvin is saying, and then the psalmist is saying, it, is, it can be really hard to pray. How many of you guys have ever been in a place, and you just think about this yourself, you, know, you wake up in the morning, you want, you, have your, you want to spend your time with the Lord, you get your coffee going, you have your Bible open, and you sit in the front of your Bible, and you just feel blank. You just feel like you're like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do here. I know this is what I'm supposed to be, but I, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give right now. I just feel uh, blank. I feel empty. Or maybe you feel a low-key anxiety because you feel like the sin, there might be a sin that might be in your life um, that you feel like you're just too far gone in. Like you're too deep into this. And so no matter you go before the Lord, like I can't go before the Lord right now because of this thing. It, 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 it's this deep sense of, desperation that we might feel, that when we get to those moments where we just are sitting uh, and trying to muster up something that we have nothing. Have you been there? You've got nothing and you just cry out for help. The pain of life can seem overwhelming and it just leads to a sense of coldness towards the Lord. Have you been there? That's where the psalmist is. That's where the writer of the psalmist is. That's what he's asking the Lord because he realizes his need. And what we see continuing on, and as we move into the next three verses, that even in that space, God hears. Even in that place, we can lament before the Lord. We can cry before the Lord. We can grieve before the Lord, and he hears. We can still go to God, and we can still go to him knowing that we are going to be heard. Look in verse 3. So like I said, the first two verses deal with lament, and the next section kind of deals with confession. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So the psalm is giving us permission to struggle. The psalm is giving us permission to be weak. The psalm is giving permission for us to recognize, identify, and, and, and pinpoint where we are in life, and, and, and from that point, bring ourselves before the Lord. We don't have to put a mask on. We don't have to try to pretend to be better than we are. We can be broken before the Lord, and we can confess before the Lord. He said, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist is giving a clear picture, clear picture of who we are and who God is. God is holy and perfect, and we are broken and sinful. And in this sentence, in verses 3 and 4, he also says, he gives a bigger picture of who God is by the names that he uses for God. And this is important for us to catch. He uses two different names for God in verses 3 and 4. He says, first off, he's, in, in verse 2, he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity. So oh, anytime, you, and I think we've said this before, anytime you see Lord capitalized in your Bible, that, that is uh, uh, Yahweh. That, that is God's personal name, is, is Yahweh. And then other times you might see the Lord. There's different um, names for God that you see all throughout the scriptures. But the, so, so 
uh, in verse, the second part of verse 3, when he says, Oh, Lord, who could stand? That word for Lord is Adonai. Adonai. And that, that, that name for God means master. That, that name for God means um, a master. So when you, when you put these two, two terms together, this personal name of God of Yahweh and this other name for God, Adonai, it's this picture of that God is this personal God, he, but he's also our ultimate master. Putting these two terms together was meant to convey this deep reverence for the Lord. This deep, this, this deep idea of who he is. And Ryan read that uh, earlier in, in the call to worship, that to, to really get a sense of who God is, Exodus 34 paints a brilliant picture, a beautiful picture of who our God is. Let me read it again for us. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty. So do we notice in this, these first three verses that he's, he, he starts with the problem. Who could stand before the Lord if he were to account iniquities? If, if God was to judge our sin according to what we deserve, who could stand? We know the answer to that. It's no one. No, no one can stand. No one can stand. But with you, with you, God, there is forgiveness. Or as he says in Exodus 34, you are, steadfast, you are abounding in steadfast love. You are faithful. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. And so when we see God as our master, when we see God as Yahweh, as a personal God, when we acknowledge him as, as, as is he who he truly is, what we hopefully will then realize is that before him we are broken and we cannot be our own master. Um, we are not the one in control. We are not the one um, who can just go before him and, and stand because we're not perfect. But yet, despite of that, he's still good and gracious and kind. This, this psalm is still showing us a picture that we can be broken before God. And in our brokenness, God is still steadfast in love. He's abounding in faithfulness. He's abounding in grace and mercy. And a lot of times what happens, so we know this to be true about God, right? A lot of us. We, we know that he is abundant and kind and gracious. But a lot of times when we get into seasons of apathy and complacency and numbness, we know God is our master. We know he's the one our eyes are on. But when we get into these seasons of complacency where we start to slowly drift away from him, we no longer see him as Adonai, as master, but we see ourselves as master. We see ourselves as the one who is in control of our own life. We see ourselves as the one who is the the, the compass for the direction of our lives. We see ourselves and master. And complacency and numbness often comes from a season, not always, not always, but a lot of times it'll come from a place in which we um, act as our own master. And when we do that long enough, we get a little bit bigger and God gets a little bit smaller. And when God gets a little bit smaller in our lives, we tend to just not really think he's all that important. And no one, none of us as Christians, as followers of Christ, I, don't, I, would, I would contend that none of us intentionally, consciously think that. 
I don't think any of us would consciously and intentionally think, okay, God, I want to be, I want to do more of my own things and, and I'm going to do less of you. And so I'm just, it's subtle. It's subtle. It's us, when we feel the pressures of life, looking to other escapes. It's when we feel just the sorrow from our, from our circumstances for whatever reason that we turn to other things instead of the Lord. When we distract ourselves with, by binging hours and hours of Hulu. When we distract ourselves with our work or with our relationships. And instead of bringing our pain and our brokenness and our sin before the Lord and confessing him these things, knowing that we've met with forgiveness, we act as our own master. We act as our own just compass. And over time, oftentimes what can happen is just a numbness and complacency to where all of a sudden when we are confronted with the things of the Lord, these good and beautiful truths that God is faithful we want to believe, we want to remind ourselves that we just are at the coffee table with our Bibles open, feeling blank. But who could stand if God were to mark iniquities? That's the problem. Who could stand? None of us could. But let me remind ourselves of the resolution in verse 4. None of us can stand. But verse 4, which echoes Exodus 34, reminds us, that with God there is forgiveness. See, this psalm pinpoints and identifies that there is something wrong with us, that we do have a need. But he also point points the resolution, and the resolution is not found in us being our own masters. The resolution is found in recognizing God as Adonai, master. So in the depths of pain in this psalm, we see hope. We see hope. And what's really interesting um, that this Psalm 130 is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And really, it's a foreshadowing of the gospel in the book of Psalms. So look in verses 5 and 6. I want us to see, like I said, where I want us to go for the rest of the time, I want us to shift our minds and see that our, as we are in these seasons of, hope, of, of just numbness or struggle, that we need to go to God. And God is able to help us, and he is big enough to help us, and we ultimately see that in the person of Christ. But like I said, this is a psalm that foreshadows the gospel. There is so many gospel shadows in this psalm. In verse 5, he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So in this third part, so we've looked at a, a section on lament. We've looked on a section on confession and need and God's forgiveness. And in this, this third section is the section on waiting. This, this waiting. And there's two key themes that are brought up in these two verses. It's hope and waiting. Hope and waiting. He says, where is their hope? Where is their hope? Well, what does he say? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. So it, there is hope in his word. We'll get to that in just a second. But what are they waiting for? That's the question. What are they waiting for? So, so, so many scholars believe, I'm going to put my teaching hat on just for just a second. Many scholars believe that this psalm was written either during the, when the Jews were exiled to Babylon or right afterwards. And for, for those who aren't familiar with, with all this, um, the, the Israel, God's chosen people, um, 
in this season, uh, when the psalm was probably written, were in a season in which they were giving themselves up to false gods. They were worshiping other things than the one true God. And God was bringing them away from their homeland to course correct them, to remind them that they were a people, not um, that they were a people that he brought near, that he made a promise with, and that he would be their God, nothing else. And so he's taking them away as a means of judgment to remind them of who they are. And so this was, they're in exile for over 70 years. And so when you're in the midst of uh, just in a foreign land, uh, away from what you know, you've got to think that they probably at some point were wondering, Lord, have you forgotten us? God, are you still with us? Are you still near to us? They were, and when those years of wondering, they may have felt reje- that God may have rejected them completely. But when, when, when God, when the psalmist uses Yahweh here, Yahweh, one of the things that would have also probably conjured up in, in, in them was that this Yahweh, he is a God of promise. He is a God who stays true to his word. And, and we just did a series on this. Uh, God begins this promise in Genesis that he was going to send a Messiah, that he was going to bring one that was going to ultimately save and deliver Israel and all the nations from their sins. That salvation was going to come through this person. And when the original audience was reading Psalm 130, they would have been still anticipating a coming Messiah. They still would have been waiting for God to bring in this this prophet, this person that was ultimately going to deliver and save them. So what are they waiting for here? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for this salvation from the Lord through this Messiah. That's what the word, the word of the Lord that they hoped in was pointing to. That's what the word that they were, that, the, that, that they're hoping it was pointing to, that ultimately the text that they had, the Psalms that they had, were ultimately going to have their culmination in the person of Jesus. And how sure was this promise? How sure was the, this word of the Lord going to be? Look in verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. I love that he repeats it because he's trying to emphasize the point. How sure was this promise? Did morning come today? Yeah. Is morning going to come tomorrow? Yeah. Watchmen, they were the guards of the city. They, they, they were on the lookouts. They were the ones that just in the middle of the night to make sure that there was no danger coming. Sometimes morning, it took longer for morning to come, for daylight to break, but it always came. How sure is this promise? As sure as the, as the sun will rise tomorrow. Thousands of years after this psalm was written, you and I get to see the reality of what they were waiting for. We get to see the reality of what they were waiting for. Who could stand before the Lord if he were to hold our sin against us? If we need perfection to stand before the Lord, to be, to be before him, to be perfectly before him, if we, were to be the, if we had to stand before the Lord, um, if he were to hold our sins against us, no one could stand. But thanks be to God that Jesus made a way for us to stand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but will have What? Everlasting life. This is a verse we hear so often, but yet can be so numb to. This is, this is what they were waiting for. 
This is what we get to experience now as Christians. And, and, and here's what can help us in seasons in which we feel numb and broken, where we feel that sin is just all too crushing, when we feel the same pain and sorrow of life just is all too real, is that for thousands of years before ours, God was making us a way to have true life. And true life is found in the person of Jesus. And only in him, nothing in this world can offer. Nothing in this world can, can, can fully deal with this pain and fully deal with this sin. But Jesus can and has. And he did it on the cross. Jesus gives us this life. And he's the one who, he's able, is the one who makes us able to stand before God. And he is... He, it, was the promised one for thousands of years. And what this psalm is ultimately encouraging us to do is to help us find our ultimate hope in him. It's meant to help us find our ultimate hope in Jesus. And when we find ourselves in seasons of numbness and pain, whether it's because of suffering or sin, if we are in Christ, we can confidently go before him. And even if the only prayer that we mutter and perform is help, he hears. Hebrews 4, uh, 15 through 16. The writer says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you notice in verse 2, what was he asking? Lord, hear my prayers. Lord, listen to my pleas for mercy. In Christ, we get that. In Christ, we get to go confidently before the Lord, knowing that he will hear us. Even if all, all we can muster up is help, he hears and he meets us where we're at. And we can go confidently no matter what season of life that we might find ourselves in. Sin can so easily corrode our hearts to, uh, for, for us to forget that. Sin can easily corrode our hearts uh, before the Lord and, and can easily cause us to look towards other things for life, to other things to fix the pain of what's going inside or to, to try to clean ourselves up. Sin can cause such a mess for ourselves. Um, but what this psalm is helping us do is that despite that, that we don't have to go anywhere else, that in Christ, that, that we have a Savior, we have a God, we have a master who can deal fully with our brokenness. And with the Lord, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, and this ultimately culminates in the person of Jesus. And I love how this psalmist ends. I love how this psalm, psalmist ends. So he's he's. He's, he, laments, he was lamenting, Lord, hear me. He's recognizing that, that I can't stand before you, God, because of my brokenness, but Lord, you, in you there is forgiveness. There's a season of waiting, waiting for salvation to come, and that ultimately culminates in Christ. And after the season of waiting, the psalmist ends in confidence. He ends in confidence. Look at verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. 
and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice here that he goes from talking about himself and then he brings the whole congregation in. Oh, all of Israel. He's reminding them that this promise and this, this, this idea of who God is wasn't just going to be for him as a writer, but it was open to all the people, all of Israel. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, he reiterates, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. That's what he's propping up in these things. That's what he's reminding them of what their hope in the Lord offers. Hope in the Lord offers forgiveness. Hope in the Lord, hope in Jesus offers us not being um, dealt with according to our sin. Hope in the Lord offers, I love the phrase, plentiful redemption. The, the, the word picture that came to mind when I heard swore the word plentiful, um, this might be kind of silly, um, was, was Halloween. Like Halloween, uh, for those of us who are trick-or-treaters, how much candy did you get? If you hit the good neighborhoods, you got a lot. And if you hit the Carroll neighborhood, you're going to get big candy bars because that's what we do. Um, but, but, you know, you bring your stash home and, like, you know, your buckets are filled. It's, like, overflowing with candy. If you hit the really good spots, it's just it's plentiful. There's more than enough to go around. And so this idea that there's plentiful redemption in the Lord is this idea that God has unlimited re, uh, resources. He has unlimited grace. He has unlimited forgiveness. He has unlimited mercy and grace towards those who realize they're needed. And so if you are in a place of need, go. And expect to receive redemption. Expect to receive forgiveness. Uh, I love this quote from an English theologian named John Trapp. He says it like this. He says, um, he uh, will multiply pardons as we multiply sins. Or he will multiply forgiveness. He will multiply love for grace as we multiply sins. We cannot exhaust his resources. We cannot exhaust his resources. And so maybe for some of us, um, the season that we might be in, like if, if for those of us who are in here and, and, and you are feeling so near to the Lord, praise his name. You are still a person of need and you are still able to go to him. If you're a person in here and you're feeling numb and broken and you're feeling stale and flat and just blank, praise his name because you can still go to him. And, and let me tell you this. Let me tell, let, me, let me tell you this. As somebody who's, that's where I've been the past three weeks, if I'm just being fully honest with you, this, this, this fog and this haze and just feeling the pain of life uh, where, where the, the temptation to drift towards complacency is all too real right now. In this space, I'll tell you, let me assuredly tell you that Christ uh, in him is still good. In the moments of pain, he is still good and, and wants to give you unlimited resources and forgiveness that is offered to you in the moment. And for some of you, like I said, there's this feeling of numbness and, and, and pain. It might, not, it might not just be in a few weeks. It might be not even just be a few months. Maybe you've been feeling years you have felt years of just kind of going through the motions and just coasting. You go to church on Sunday, maybe you do Wednesday stuff too, and you're just kind of coasting, but there's no real engagement with the Lord because you may feel like yourself have gone too far. 
you yourself may feel like you have gone too far. Let me gently tell you, if that's your mindset, you are trusting in yourself and not Christ. Fix your eyes on the one true master, Jesus. Fix your eyes on the one who is actually able to give you life instead of yourself. And so for this new year, this, this simple encouragement this psalm offers, regardless of where we might find ourselves, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. That he is the source of our life. He is our master. He is the, the good shepherd who offers forgiveness. And what a better way to remind ourselves of this forgiveness that he offers um, than to, to celebrate communion in the Lord's table. And Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. If you are in Christ, and if you're in the season of, 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 of just struggle and pain, what better reminder can you give, your, can you give yourself than, than going to the table? Than participating in, in, in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ. And what we mean by that is that, that you're a child of God, that you have put your faith in Jesus. And by putting your faith in Christ, you are one of his family. You are one of his kids. And if you are one of his kids, you're always uh, welcome at the table. You're always welcome um, to have the forgiveness and the grace that was given to you through his broken body and his shed blood. This is offered to you. And it's oftentimes going to the table and we, we can reset ourselves and remind ourselves of who we are and the one we need to fix our eyes on. And so for some of you in this moment, um, you, might just need, you, you might be feeling that numbness and complacency. I would encourage you during this time, as you take the bread and, and, and drink of um, the juice, that you would ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to feel again? Would you remind me? Because at the end of the day, we cannot muster up a change of heart, but he can. So go to the one who can help change your heart. So I want us to spend this time Doing what you need to do. If the Lord is, if the Spirit is, is bringing something for you to confess, confess, knowing that you'll be met with forgiveness. If you have never put your faith in Christ uh, ever, and, and that's something that you feel the, that, that, is, that you're being, come talk to one of us. Or even in that moment, just ask the Lord, I'm tired of doing this on my own, Lord. Would you come and help me and restore me? But for the new year, my hope is for us as a church and for us, regardless of where we are, is to look to Jesus to believe the gospel is for you. And my hope for us is that if we are in a season of just joy or a season of just numbness, that we would find our ultimate hope in the person of Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for your kindness towards us. God, thank you that in you there is life and life abundant. God, I thank you that in you, Lord, there is um, forgiveness and redemption. God, I'm thankful that you are a God who meets us where we are. We don't have to pretend to be someone. We don't have to pretend to be uh, okay. Lord, we don't have to pretend to not be broken, but Lord, we can be all those things before you. And Lord, being in Christ, we get to be those things and still draw confidence to the throne, knowing, God, that you will help us. Knowing the promise that you will give us the grace, you will give us mercy, you will give us all that we need, Lord, to help us and remind us of who we truly are in you. And so, God, I pray that you would do that this morning.
Do that in my heart. Do that in the hearts of those in here. Lord, would you remind us of the hope to be had in Christ? And so we love you. We praise your son's name. Amen.